everything that's gone on to 2020. To be honest, the, the whole fear and anxiety thing, if I'm really honest with you, the whole fear and anxiety, that's not, that's not my issue. I know some of you it is, and I'm not judging. I'm really not. It's just not where I find myself. Where I am, and I'm being completely honest, I go back and forth between being grateful for this season, seriously, because I feel like I've had more time, maybe it maxed out this week, like, but more time with my family than I've had in a long time. And I'm grateful for that. I have gratitude for that. But the stressful part for me of 2020 has been the frustration that bubbles up, and some of you may get this, when I just can't fix it. Right? Like when I, I'm not anxious, I'm not fearful. Some of you are, and that's okay. Like keep wrestling with that. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that today. But for me, the stressful part has been I want to fix this. I want this to be over. Like if you are carrying the fear and anxiety, I get it. It's just not me. And and, and I'm here for you. We're here for you. Let's pray together. Let's walk this road together. But but others of us, whether you have fear or not, you're just super frustrated, right? Or you're angry. At, at least at times, we've all been angry, right? Can we get an amen on that? Like maybe you see the politicians who claim to have solutions and then do nothing or the delayed actions that could really help people. Or you look at your kids, your grandkids, you just, you just want to get them back to a place where they can thrive. Or you're a teacher and you're trying to do the best you can and you can't help kids any more than you've tried and people still aren't happy and it just piles up and it's like it has to come out at times. We've got a laundry room. If you need to get it out, come, come hang out with us in our basement, right? And I'm just saying today, I think the majority of us at certain times this year found ourselves either internally or externally in that same spot where I was with my family this week, spouting off and letting everything in us come out, complaining, grumbling, arguing. And so here's the thing today. We're, we're in this series called Finding Joy, and we're walking through the book of Philippians, and, and we've talked about these, these big picture ideas, right? We said the first week that joy starts with a shared we. It starts with being the church on mission, this partnership together. You, if you're going to have joy in your life, you've got to have people around you going after the mission of God. I'm telling you, if you're not living out the mission of God with other people, you are not going to find joy that lasts. We talked about that. We talked about the fact that joy comes through kingdom perspectives, right? And that reshapes our desires. Paul was in prison, and he said, it doesn't matter. If I die, that's gain. If I live, it's Christ. He had this kingdom perspective that no matter what came, he could be joyful. And then we talked last week about joy comes through descending like Jesus, that we have to humble ourselves. We have to empty ourselves. And, and those are kind of big ideas, and I hope they've been helpful. But today, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we hit this wall. We hit this wall where all the big picture stuff gets, gets us right in the face with some super practical challenges. And it's encouraging, and it's incredibly challenging, both at the same time. So I want to look at this passage in depth really quickly, and then I want to show you the story of someone who's living this passage out. Look at Philippians 2. We're going to start at verse 12. Here's what it says. Therefore, everybody say therefore. So this is a key word. When you read Paul, you've got to pay attention. Every time he says, therefore, he's giving you a follow-up to what he's just given you, right? So last week, we talked about this Christ poem, the way of Jesus emptying himself. And he's framed that. And now, in verse 12, he says, therefore. I'm about to tell you why this poem matters, why Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection matters. So verse 12, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? So Paul says in, in, in what we talked about last week that because Jesus descended from heaven, he lowered himself, 
Because he incarnated as human and he died on a cross and because he's glorified, exalted, and now he's Lord over all of creation, he says, therefore, this is what you are to do. He says, as you've always obeyed, and I love Paul's encouragement, right? He, He says, as you've always, you've done this. He says, I know you can do this. I know you can follow the way of Christ. But now he says, I want you to do this in my absence. Remember, Paul's in prison. He doesn't know if he's coming back. This is a pastor, a youth pastor, a mentor, an adult spiritual leader saying, I want you to grow up in your faith. I believe you can. I want you to live into. And he says this phrase, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is a phrase we've got to pay attention to because theologians call this the process of sanctification. Notice that Paul doesn't say this, and everybody needs to hear this. This may be a theological point you need to grab onto today. Paul does not say, work for your salvation. See, a lot of us want to bargain with God. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. God, I'll earn my heavenly stripes. God, I'll work my way toward salvation. Paul knows, and you can see it throughout his writings, we can't ever earn our salvation. So he says, work out your salvation. This, this idea of sanctification is the thought. Wouldn't it be nice? Like, think about this. Wouldn't it be nice if our, if our Christian life, if we were to graph it out, it was like, hey, I became a Christian, and then for the next 40 years, 20 years, 30 years, 15 years, whatever till I died, it was always upward growth. I never fell back. Wouldn't that be nice? Like I became a Christian, then I read the Bible more, I prayed more, people were, I was kind to people, I loved my neighbor. But my Christian life doesn't look like that. I don't know if yours, mine looks like this. Like I became a Christian and then it was like, whoop, <laughs> right? And then it was back up and then it was maybe, wait. see, this is sanctification. Sanctification says we work out our salvation. We walk the life of a disciple, but we trust that God is doing his work in us. He is responsible. It's not us that saves ourselves. Eugene Peterson said, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. I love that phrase, that we're investing for the long haul. Disciples, see, practice discipline. We work out our salvation. I, you know I love to run. I love to run really far. I love to get out away and just be in the woods and enjoy that. And every time I've built up for a marathon or something farther, the, the reality is that you don't do that on one day. You don't wake up one morning and go, hey, I think I'll go run 26 miles. You don't do that. You go, I'm going to run a half a mile. And then once a week, I'm going to go a little bit farther. And every week, I'm going to build up. See, it's working it out. You're building up. You're adding on that we would work out our salvation. Paul's pastoral heart here is, I want you to grow up. See, see, friends, I I think in 2020, many of us have been, and I want to say this out of love, in reaction to all the stress going on around us, we were comforted at first. Do you know what I'm saying? It's okay. God's got this. Hang on relax, be, be at rest, be at peace. We've been comforted, but now we've moved to coddling instead of comforting. And see, the problem with coddling is it doesn't challenge us. It doesn't invite us to grow. Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, out of awe and reverence for God. Then he goes on in verse 13, for it is God, so how do we do this? For it's God who works in you to will and to act in, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Friends, this is comfort after the challenge. Paul says, I want you to work out your salvation. Go after it. Grow up into your faith. And then he says, but listen, it's God who works in you. God does the work. 
We see this all over scripture. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Right? God's got to do the work in me. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? And, it, and his grace to me was not without effect. No. And then watch what Paul says. I worked harder than all of them. I put in the effort, but not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Back to Philippians 1, verse 6. Remember when we said this, that, that Paul said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. My kids are so lucky that the Holy Spirit lives in me. Imagine, guys, imagine how bad it would have been if Jesus wasn't in my life this week, right? <laughs> See, this is the hope we have that Christ in us helps us work out our salvation. See, think about this. We are called to work out our salvation, but trust God for its completion. You got to understand this is where grace is important. See, I'm so I'm so over legalistic Christianity that says we can earn our way to heaven, but I'm also over Christianity that says discipleship doesn't cost us anything. Because of God's grace, we should put in the work of discipleship. So yes, God works in us, and we need to work out our salvation, but here's how, and, and this is the brick wall we have to deal with in Philippians. This is the brick wall we got to get to today, and especially in 2020. Look at verse 14. Do, let's read this together. This is just such a good verse. Go ahead and bring this up. This is verse 14. Do everything, everybody say everything, without grumbling or arguing. Just say grumbling, because it feels good. It's just a good word. Or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. All of life, Paul says. Friends, discipleship's not easy. We're called to pursue holiness. We're called to give generously. We're called to practice hospitality, to love our spouse and our kids, to share the gospel, to not complain about it. And here's what I want to do. I, wanna, I just want to do a, a, an informal survey here. I'm a little bit of a researcher. I want to do an informal survey. On the count of three, I want you to look at this phrase, do everything without grumbling or arguing. In the scope of 2020, I want you to hold up on a scale of one to ten how you think you've done in 2020. Obeying this verse. Ready? All right. You'll give you like five seconds to think about your score, okay? And, and, and you got to be honest. You, this is like, I'm not Catholic, but this is confession time, okay? So here we go. Count of three. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. How have you done in 2020? One, two, three. Let's see it. I think we got a score of like 12 across the congregation. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> so some of you are like, I hate this. this is too You're grumbling right now, right? Here's what I know, right? Here's what I know to be true, and you know this to be true. Complaint, complaining is the common language of our culture today. Do you realize this? Like, this is how we approach people. I read an article this week. Complaining creates a bonding experience, doesn't it? Like, it creates solidarity. How do we approach people? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. This weather stinks, doesn't it? I just met you, and you're already complaining, and I'm like, yeah, it's awful. And our kids are out of school, right? Like we're on this descent. See, complaining creates this bonding experience, this solidarity. And some researchers, this is what, what gets me, they say complaining is good. It's not good to bottle it up. The problem with complaining, though, and I'm going to tell you why I think it's good here in just a second. I do agree with that. But the problem first is that complaining creates a community. It's just the wrong type of community. We have this negativity whirlpool that happens when we start complaining. Have you noticed this? We talk about viral videos. Your negativity is viral. It spreads like wildfire, doesn't it? Come on, doesn't it? You guys are like, I don't want to talk about it, right? 
arguing is what we do. Back to what Paul says, don't grumble or argue. But I'm so good at those things. Don't tell me not to do them, right? But see, the problem is when we complain as a language of the culture to each other, we're not complaining in the right direction. And I want to show you this because this language that Paul uses in Philippians 2 is actually language and imagery that goes all the way back to the Old Testament from the Exodus when the Israelites were released from slavery, when Moses led them out of captivity. Exodus 16, 2, here's what it says. In the desert, the whole community grumbled. Oh, community grumbles. That's just the best, isn't it? When everybody's mad about everything. 2020. The whole community grumbled. Against, watch who they grumbled against. Against Moses and Aaron. Now, how do we do this? Right? Even with your complaints, I would say this. Your complaining is good. You're just directing it at people who are helpless to do anything to fix it. So get your complaints out, but take them to the God of the universe. Stop complaining to everybody else. Paul, his whole chapter here, you can go back and look at it. He starts the whole chapter by saying, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Stop complaining to each other. Stop arguing. See, 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us, cast all our anxiety on him. Who? On on my spouse? Because I'm really good at that. Cast all my anxiety on my kids. Cast all my anxiety on my coworkers because it's just fun, right? No, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We're going to see it in a few weeks. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, how do we do this? How do we stop complaining, arguing with each other? We take prayer and petition. Every time you're tempted to complain, God, help me take this, receive this, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your mind, your heart is guarded from that complaint language when you start to complain to the person who can actually, to the being, the God of the universe, who can actually do something about it. The scriptures, friends, the scriptures never shy away from our darkness, from our negativity. It doesn't mean there's not darkness after you've met Jesus. Can I just be honest? I can't stand the sunshine and roses Christians. You know these people, right? Like, how are you doing today? Oh, I can't complain. Jesus saved me. <laughs> I got lots to complain about, and Jesus saved me, right? Like, what are you all flowery for? Like, no, it doesn't mean after we've met Jesus, we don't walk through darkness. Fleming Rutledge, a great theologian, she says, in Advent, we don't pretend, as I once thought, that we're in the darkness before the birth of Christ, and afterwards, there's no darkness. Rather, we take a good, hard look at the darkness we are in now facing and defining it honestly so that we will understand with utmost clarity that our great and only hope is in Jesus and his final victorious coming. Paul goes on, he says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Do everything without arguing or complaining. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure. So that you may become blameless. See, it's not just about you having a happy life. I I love you all, but I don't think God writes self-help books. I think God's about the work of reconciling all humanity. And in the midst of a world, he wants to see his people blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. God works 
in us. Back to the Exodus language, when they left slavery, they set up the tabernacle in the wilderness because the presence of God would come dwell among the people who had been freed from slavery. When we get to the temple period of Israel, God's dwelling was with humanity at the temple. When Jesus comes, he says, you are the temple of God. God's presence is in you. When we complain and argue and grumble and end up in those spots, we are removing the presence of God, the tabernacle of God, the temple of God from dwelling among us. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure. Do you understand the most human you can be is blameless and pure? It's not filled with complaints and arguments. And then he says this, then, then, right? We parenthesize this, then, when you don't complain or grumble, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul says, when you live like this, you will be the testimony to the world of the hope of Jesus Christ. When you learn to live in the midst of chaos, and this Philippian church lived with chaos, persecution, they didn't know if their leader was going to be killed. When you learn to live like that without arguing, without grumbling, then you will shine like stars in the sky. So here's the principle today, and then I'm going to show you a story of how this works. The principle is simple. Finding joy means you got to deal with your attitudes. If you're going to find joy, you got to deal with your attitude. Friends, some of you are not in a place where you can find joy because you have not dealt with the descent of your attitude amidst the challenges of life. Some of you will never find, you're looking for it from everybody else, from everything else. You're trying to entertain yourself to death. You're trying to self-medicate yourself to death. You're trying to look for everybody else to give you comfort and coddling. And you got to deal with your attitude. You got to deal with it. You got to lay it on the altar and say, God, I don't know how to not be negative. I am swept up in this, this, this complaint culture language. And you got to deal with your attitude. But here's the thing finding joy means you deal with your attitudes, but you also got to deal with this part because it's not just about you. You also got to deal with the impact of your attitude on your testimony. You got to deal with the impact of how your attitude witnesses to the world of the Savior that you know. I had the chance, Carrie and I had the chance this week to film someone's story who has walked through this and she preaches this sermon way better than I ever could. You know Scott Trent. This is Scott's mom's Karen and I want you to see her story. Check this out. You know, when you go through life, you often run into giants that are sometimes so big and so ferocious that they're just overwhelming. And in order to fight the giant and win the battle, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share with you now the present giant that I am going through and the battle that I am fighting. And that started in January of 2018. And Rich and I had just gone to Florida to spend a couple of the winter months. And I looked at Rich and I told him that I thought that I would run down to a local um, quick care and get something for a UTI. And what does he do? He gets on the computer and finds one with five stars. So 
Needless to say, instead of going a mile down the road, we end up going several miles. But we get there, and sure enough, you know, they take me in and <clears throat> take care of the UTI that I have. But then the doctor looks at me and says, hey, why don't you get up there on the table, Karen, and let me take a look at you. And I thought, now wait a minute. This is a fast care. They don't do these things, but I thought I'd pacify her and get up on the table. And she started to examine me and she said, oh my honey, you look like you're six months pregnant. And I thought, hey, I know that's not the case at my age, but I just figured it was normal. Plus the fact that <clears throat> I had really let up on my sit-ups lately. So she went ahead and did the um, x-ray and came back and told Rich and I, she said, you have a large tumor in your stomach and that has to come out. I don't know if it's malignant or not, but it has to come out either way. And so since we didn't have any idea of anyone to call, she set me up with a, a CT scan the very next morning and also set up an appointment with an oncologist um, the next week. Well, the oncologist ordered an extensive amount of blood work done, even though I had going to my regular doc, doctor a month before and had blood work done and everything was fine, he said, well, you know, this is more extensive. And he also ordered an MRI. And in the meantime, he said, stop by, get a copy of the CT scan and also <clears throat> get a copy of the x-ray that they did at the fast care. So I did. And when we got to the oncologist's office, he said, I need to wait and look at this MRI, and then I'll be in. And the nurse came in in the meantime and said, you know, I probably shouldn't say anything, but I think it's okay because your blood work turned out great. Then the doctor comes in and he says, <clears throat> I'm sorry, but I really think it's cancer. And I'm setting you up an appointment with a great surgeon in um, Tampa, Florida. And we thought, okay, we'll do that. Well, we got home that night and we were depressed and, you know, cancer. I just couldn't believe it. I felt great. I hadn't had any symptoms. And needless to say, we both shed a few tears. The next morning, let me tell you, I got up and studied God's Word. I, I enjoy doing that every morning anyway, but this morning I searched the scriptures specifically for my prayer. And I prayed to the Lord and Honestly, I got up 
feeling like uh, a weight had been lifted. And I remember going outside and taking a walk and thinking, you know what? Everything is fine. I don't seem to worry about it at all. What a peace I have. I thought, this is really a peace like God's Word says, a peace beyond all understanding. So we headed to the surgeon's office. I might say that uh, it wasn't for probably a week and a half later that Rich also um, got this total peace that God was in control. He had everything worked out. And just this total peace comes over you. <clears throat> the surgeon said, I want to get you in for surgery just as quickly as possible, but I want a date that I'm available and my colleague is also available because with this particular surgery, I want him there too, just in case something comes up that's more in his field than maybe mine. I remember going into the surgery and not worried about a thing, just perfectly calm. And um, believe me, there were some side effects that could have happened from this surgery. Uh, one of the main things was that she told me um, I could end up with a temporary or maybe even a permanent colostomy. But you know what? That didn't even seem to concern me. And the surgery went well. <clears throat> I gave birth to a six pound, 13 ounce tumor. And I want to tell you that um, that was bigger than either one of my sons when I gave birth to them. They told me after the surgery that chemo was going to be necessary. She thought she had everything, but there were some nodules that had gone to my lung, and they were pretty sure those were cancer also. So I wanted to come back home before we started chemo. I had no idea what type of uh, cancer I had. I knew that <clears throat> it took a long time for them to get it back, and they sent it a couple different places, but I just didn't think anything about that at the time. And so the surgeon finally released me and also the urologist. The urologist had been called in during the surgery um, to put a spleen in. So as soon as I got the spleen out and the surgeon released me, we headed home. And in May of 2018, I started chemo down at uh, Morgantown. And from May of 2018 till October, 2019, we traveled to Morgantown and I went through different types of chemo. It was just that nothing seemed to really work. A couple of my friends in the meantime had told me 
that they had heard a lot about Mayo Clinic and that I might try going there. So I found out the type of chemo that I have is leomyosarcoma, which is a very rare cancer. It's like maybe one in a million, get it? I thought, wow, am I fortunate to get it, one in a million. But Dr. Atia, the specialist at the uh, Mayo Clinic, um, set me up an appointment and he said, you know, regular chemo will not take care of the Leomaya sarcoma. You have to find a trial that will work. And he said um, he would put my name on a list for a trial. And in December of 2019, he called and said, there is a trial coming up that I think you'll be eligible for. And so in January of this year, we went to Florida and I started this trial. It was a phase one in the trial. And I stayed on that trial from January till the end of May. And then Dr. Atia said, you know what, Karen? This is not working any longer. It really hadn't decreased the cancer, but was trying to more or less stabilize it, but it had quit even doing that. So he told me there was another trial coming up, and he thought that it would be available in a couple weeks, and he said, go on home and just wait until this trial gets underway and we'll give you a call. <clears throat> he gave me a call in August and we went down and I got started on this trial. Um, two weeks I was on the drug and one week I'd be off and I'd have to go back to Mayo for, you know, to start another cycle. Well, the first CT scan was unbelievable. It had decreased the cancer and I was thrilled. The next CT scan showed that there was an inflammation that had been formed around my bile duct. The next CT scan looked worse. The inflammation was worse and this can be a very, I guess, a very, very serious thing. They, so they decreased my drug and I stayed on it. And when I went back, they said, um, they had talked to the sponsor again and they were afraid that this was what was causing it. And even though I wanted to stay on it, they said, we have to, you have to go off of it for a cycle. And after you go off of it for a cycle, which is three weeks, then we want you back here. We'll do another CT scan. 
and see what happens. And that's where I am right now. Yes, I have to go back the 22nd of this month for another CT scan and more blood work to be done. And I don't, don't know at this point if they'll allow me to continue with the drug or not. <coughs> but one thing's for sure, I know that my God is in control and I know God's gonna heal me. It's either gonna be on this side of heaven or the other but I know I will be healed. I'm praying that it will be on this side because I'd like to stick around a while and see my grandchildren grow up. But I do want God's will done. Um, you know, in this journey of facing the giant of cancer, it has consisted probably of two main factors. One is faith and the other is sight. Faith in believing what God can and will do. Just looking at what God will really do and believing that. The second is sight in looking what God has already done for me. So. I am just so looking forward to seeing what God's gonna do next. Some of you are probably wondering, you know, you've been going through this for almost three years. You've lost your hair, you've gone through all kinds of chemo, and how have, have you kept a smile on your face and kept upbeat the whole time? And the answer is no. Sometimes I've been really low. Sometimes I have felt so down. But I have found that I enjoy spending at least an hour of a morning uh, just spending it in my prayer closet, reading God's Word, and talk, talking to Him in prayer. And I want to tell you something. You know, there's been many times when I've been on my knees praying, and I felt so down. And by the time I got up off of my knees, I felt a joy. I felt a song in my heart and a smile back on my face and I was able to face the day with a joy and a happiness that otherwise I couldn't because you see every time I feel like Satan is hitting me really hard I just take it to the Lord and he takes the burden off of me again. Satan will really hit hard at times, but he, he does not have to defeat you. If he gets you down, just call upon the Lord and find out that you're, he's not victorious. The Lord is victorious.
I go through the day thinking, the Lord thy God will hold my right hand, saying unto me, Fear not, Karen, for I will help thee. And he truly has. Thank you for allowing me to, to share my testimony with you. any better than that. <laughs> Karen said she wanted to tell the church that she would be here, but there are several people in her life who don't think that's a good idea, and she has to listen to them. So she is working out her salvation with fear and trembling. I walked out with Carrie yesterday, and I said, we should never, <laughs> we should never complain about anything, right? Friends, these are what the saints have done for centuries, is live into the hope and the joy that only Christ gives. Let's stand and pray together, and we're going to close with the song of the faith.